Well, I don't, uh, I don't know about you, but I love movies. And I love a good movie night, right? You get on the couch, have your favorite snacks, your go-to blanket, yep. You turn off the lights, get comfy, hit play. And I have a range of movies that I like. I love a good romantic comedy, typical girl, but I love it, right? I also love movies with a good protagonist and antagonist. Protagonist being the good guy, antagonist being the one that opposes the good guy, uh, AKA the bad guy, right? I love a good versus evil type of movie. Movies like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, and many more. And what I love about these kind of movies is they all have something in common, which is a choice to do what is right or to or choose to do what is wrong, to love what is good or to love what is evil. In Lord of the Rings, you have this ring that is evil, destructive, yet powerful, enticing, the desire to want it. And so you have Frodo, one of the main characters in the movie who has a choice to choose evil and the alluring desires that come with this ring or to destroy the ring, to choose right or to choose wrong. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, has a choice to join the Green Goblin as he entices him to join his side of evil. There's actually a particular scene in one of the movies in which the Green Goblin says to Peter, people will hate you. Why choose them? What's the point? Peter responds with, because it is the right thing to do. He had a choice. Respond with good or join forces with evil. Or lastly, in a galaxy far, far away, forces of good clash with evil. You have Anakin Skywalker who has a choice to bring balance to the force, staying on the good side or join the dark side with its alluring power and enticing ways. You see, all, you see, in all these movies, the protagonist has a choice to choose between the desire for good or the desire for evil. To choose good or to choose evil. To love good or to love evil. And for all of us sitting in the room, we too have a choice. The desire to love good and hate evil or love evil and hate good. Now, I want us to think about that uh, for a second, because I think all of us in the room initially would say, especially for those who are believers in Christ, you, you've placed your faith in Jesus. Uh, I think all, most of us would say, I'm on the good side. Uh, Spider-Man all the way. And if I went around and asked each of you something along the lines of, hey, when you see or hear about evil things that are done, do you hate it? I think most of us, if not all of us, would be quick to say, yeah, of course. Right? If I asked, hey, when you hear about someone being mistreated, abu uh, abused, injustice being done, you wouldn't sit there, I hope anyway, and say, love that. Good stuff right there. Want more of that in my life. No. There would instead be a righteous anger that should well up within you. Right, that's evil, that, that's not good, that's not right, this is wrong. We can all acknowledge that evil exists in the world today. 
And if we are on the good side, meaning we are good with Christ, we should oppose evil. And not just oppose evil, but scripture says we are to hate evil. Going back to our verse, Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Believers are called to hate evil. That's why Psalm 97.10 says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. We see this repeated and emphasized throughout many scriptures in the Bible. Those who fear the Lord, who love God, who worship him, are to hate evil. But I think a good question to ask, or one that might come to mind is, well, what does hating evil really mean? Have you considered what is actually evil? And how are we supposed to go about hating it? And that's the goal tonight, is as we go through the word of God, that you would leave here being able to answer those two questions through the word of God. What is evil and how are we to hate it? For starters, according to Strong's Concordance, which by the way, if you don't know what Strong's Concordance is, it's an index to the Bible. So if you ever wanna do more of a study on a specific scripture or word to really understand the context and how that word is compared to the same word in other verses, you can download the app, go online. It really is just a great resource. That's Strong's Concordance. And so based off Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew word for evil in this verse is translated as ra'ah. It's got like a tongue roll with it. Y'all say it with me, ra'ah. That was actually pretty good. Okay, good job. Ra'ah means wicked, wrongdoing, bad, in general of a person of thoughts, deeds, and actions. Now, that seems pretty explanatory, right? Pretty simple, straightforward. However, the issue we face in today's world is that the world will tell you what is actually evil is not really evil. And here's what I mean. The world will tell you, you do you, boo. You go get yours. If you got it, flaunt it. You deserve it. So keep showing them selfies. There's nothing wrong with self-exaltation, self-fascination, or self-praise. If that's what make you, makes you feel good, then go for it. And yet scripture refers to pride, self-praise, and self-exaltation as straight-up evil. Our main verse, Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. God is associating the word evil with pride and arrogance. But the world says, self-exaltation, that's not evil. That's to be praised. But again, the word says something different. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. The world will also tell you, or specifically Colorado Springs will tell you, if you head, head down to uh, Planned Parenthood, which is right, right over here, or head to their website right now, which I went to on Saturday to get some info for tonight's message, you can literally type in your age, how long you've been pregnant, and your zip code. It will then take you to a page that lets you know your, abortion, uh, your options to abort a baby. Option one, abortion pill, which you can have mailed to you and is available to use to end a pregnancy up to 11 weeks. Option two, in-clinic in abortion, which is up to 24 weeks to end a pregnancy. By the way, at 24 weeks, you're considered six months pregnant. And that baby has eyebrows, eyelashes, 
it can now hear music and recognize it to where when that baby is born, it can be calmed by the same music that the baby heard inside the womb at 24 weeks. That's insane. And I'm not going to get too much uh, into the topic when it comes to abortion. That's another sermon for another time. But my point is the world, this clinic right here, right down the road, will tell you that's not evil. That is not wrong. In fact, if that's your choice to abort your baby, good for you. While scripture says, on the other hand, human life is the physical handiwork of God, created in God's image for God's glory. Every man or woman that is formed in the hands of the faithful father has value, purpose, and grace. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, 13 through 14, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God has forbidden us from taking innocent life. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder, Exodus 20, 13. You see, evil looks different from a worldview. It's seen through a different lens than what scripture says. Which is why you can't just define evil as wicked, wrongdoing, bad, in general, a person's thoughts, deeds, and actions. Instead, it should be defined as it is wicked, of wrongdoing, bad, in general, of a person's thoughts, deeds, and actions, according to what God says and declares as evil. You see, evil isn't based on our own perception. Because if that was the case we would all have different perceptions of what we think evil is and what we think is okay. You see, without God, good and evil would be subjective, what we make to think of it. For instance, if you sat down with some of your coworkers, college classmates, or even family members and gave a topic that pertains to wrong or right, homosexuality, abortion, etc., you're going to get different answers in the room. Some would say evil, some would say good. And now in our Western culture, some go as far as to say that the highest moral standard is not a standard of what is right and wrong, but the highest moral standard is now a standard of tolerance and acceptance. Don't you dare say or call anything wrong or evil. Instead, you must always tolerate whatever the person next to you chooses to do. Isaiah 5.20 warns us of this when it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Everlast, this is huge. We don't get to decide what is good for people and what is wrong for people and define uh, what is true that way. God decides what is good, true, holy, And he also decides what is bad, and we are to follow that. Because what God says is good is good for people, and what God says is evil is evil for people. Good and evil is not subjective to our own perceptions and thoughts of what we want and declare something to be. Good versus evil isn't predicated on your own opinion or feelings for that matter. Feelings at times will lie to you. So it's important to know what God says. And it is through God's true word that provides what evil is and what good is. That's why Psalm 119, 104 through 105 says, Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist is saying, it's your word that I gain and get my understanding, not from the world that I gain and get my understanding. And therefore, because of your word, I hate every false way. Uh, false way. Your word is what brings me truth and lights my way. So if scripture provides answers to what is wrong and right, then what does scripture actually say about evil? What, what is considered evil? Well, scripture, in fact, says a whole lot about good and evil. Uh, but I think Jeremiah 2, verses 11 through 13, truly describes the essence of evil in just a really powerful way. So it'll be on the screen. You can read along with me. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Did you catch that? Look again at verse 13. My people have committed two evils. What were they? One, they have forsaken me, the fountains of living water. Two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Meaning, they have forsaken God and have chosen other idols for themselves that can't fulfill or fully satisfy. They have forsaken God, who is the fountain of living waters. He is the only one who can fulfill our desires and meet our every need. Yet they chose other idols that can't even hold water. They're broken and they can't fulfill what only God can. Therefore, what this passage is saying is that the essence of evil is to lose a taste for God and prefer anything more than God, especially when he offers to be for us the never-ending fountain of life and joy. Everlast, it's desiring anything and everything above or in place of God, a.k.a. sin. What is evil? It's sin. It's desiring anything and everything in place of Jesus. And it's in the heart of every man. You don't get to bypass sin. It's in the heart of every person who has ever lived, and it's in the heart of every person in this room, including myself. And it started with Adam and Eve, right? We know the story. Back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, God tells Adam, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And what happens? You fast forward just a chapter over, and the desires of man, the desires of satisfaction for anything other than God takes place. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's right there. Entry of sin into the world, all because of a desire. And here's the truth. Sin isn't just disobeying. It's that you are desiring something more than God that causes you to disobey. 
You see, it wasn't just that Adam and Eve disobeyed what God told them. It was more than that. It was that Adam and Eve desired the fruit more than they desired God. They delighted more in the fruit, in what the fruit could be for them than in what God could be for them. I love how one author put it. He said, eating the fruit was not the essence of the evil because before they ate, they had already lost their taste for God. He was no longer their all supplying life and joy. They preferred something else. And that is the ultimate essence of evil. Preferring something else instead of Christ. And just like what we read in Jeremiah, they had forsaken God and chose something else to fulfill their desires. And if we were to stop and reflect, asking the Lord to examine our own hearts, I think we would all see areas in our heart where we tend to desire something over Christ. And when we choose to say yes to that desire, preferred over Christ, it's those evil desires that are within us, and it's that evil we are called to hate which is interesting because I think when we initially think of evil, we tend to think of what's going on in the world or other people's sin. Man, that dude over there, he got some major issues. He definitely needs Jesus. That chick that flipped me off while driving, that totally happened to me this week. Lord, help her. She got some things going on there. When it comes to evil, we tend to think of other people's sin instead of our own evil desires and sin that takes place in our very own heart. That, that's why Luke 6.42 says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take, out, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly too, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And everlast, we really need to see this. Because when Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted, perverted speech I hate, that's not talking about pride and arrogance in your neighbor. It's not just talking about the sin of the person sitting next to you or the sin and evil desires going down in your spouse or your family member's heart. It's talking about the sin in you. That if you were to fear the Lord, and, and, and Kevin talked about this last week, but if you were to fear the Lord, right, to have an awe, reverence, a, a tremble of who he is as our almighty and all-powerful God, if you were to worship him, then you have to hate evil. Meaning you can't have an awe and reverence of God and at the same time love evil. You have to hate it. To not hate evil is to not love the good. I'm going to say that again. To not hate evil is to not love the good, which is saying if you love good, then you hate evil because the two oppose each other. This passage is saying whenever there is an awe of God, there is a hate and dread of sin. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. It's to hate sin. And, and let me just say this. Yes, we are also to hate the evil done in this world praying that God would save and trust that he will bring justice either now on earth or when those who stand before him to be held accountable for what they've done. But again, this passage in Proverbs isn't just talking about evil in the world, but sin in our own hearts. To have a fear of the Lord, we are to hate evil. So then the next question is, do you really hate sin? 
Do you really hate evil? Do you really hate your own sin? And I think this is a challenging question, right? This is a search my heart, oh God kind of question. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think this is a challenging question because one, we sometimes don't see evil for what it really is. It's that moment when evil doesn't really seem so evil. The moments when gossip doesn't seem so evil to you. There are times when lust doesn't seem so evil to you. There are times when greed doesn't seem so evil to you. There are times when lying doesn't seem so evil to you. There are times when selfishness doesn't seem so evil to you. There are times when pride, approval of man, control, comfort idols, maybe even fear of missing out doesn't seem so evil to you. And if it doesn't seem so evil to you, then there's really no need to hate it. Well, why hate something that you don't see as a big deal or for the evil that it really is? Do you truly hate evil? Do you see your sin for the evil that it really is? Or is it really not that big of a deal? Secondly, I think to ask the question, do I really hate evil? I think it, again, is challenging is because two, it is possible for us to be angry at sin or evil without truly hating it. We may be angry at the trouble sin causes, but not hate it enough to repent or to run and turn away from it. It's the desire we just talked about, that the times you prefer or desire something over Christ. It's, it's to desire something and say yes to that something, right? And, and the reason is, is because sin is pleasurable. Did she say that? Yes, sin is pleasurable. Think about that. If sin was not pleasurable, then you wouldn't do it. There was an article I just read a few days ago, and this guy wrote into this Christian publishing online resource, and he said, my sin feels good in the moment, so why stop? He's talking about Hebrews 11.25 when it refers to a sin. Hebrews 11.25 says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. And listen to this. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting, what? Pleasures of sin. Right there. The fleeting pleasures of sin. It says sin is short-lived. The pleasure short-lived, but it's still pleasurable. Think about that. Nobody in this room or anybody in general sins out of duty. We choose to sin. It's because it feels good and we like to feel good. So we like it in the moment. And the reason we find it to be a difficult um, answer to that question of do you hate evil is because at times we really don't hate it. At times we enjoy sin. And you may be thinking, well, Tina, I, I do feel bad after sin but I feel convicted after sin. And that's good. That that's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Praise God. But I'm not talking about the moment after you sin. I'm talking about the moment when you choose to say yes to sin. And in that moment, when we choose to say yes, it's because sin is momentarily pleasurable. And Everlast, let me just say this. It does not matter how desirable that sin may be or how good it feels in that moment. God calls us and commands us to hate it, to hate evil, to hate sin. Again, Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. 
And I love this verse because it doesn't just stop there, right? We don't have to guess or figure out what evil is. Uh, This verse continues and gives us specific examples of what evil is. Continuing in Proverbs 8.13, it goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Pride, arrogance, perverted speech is evil and God hates it. And we see that in other scriptures as well. Proverbs 16.5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none, uh, none will go unpunished. By the way, that word abomination translated in Hebrew, Hebrew is translated as a disgusting thing to the Lord, a loathsome thing to the Lord, and a wicked thing to the Lord. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposes means to rage and battle against. God opposes the proud, God rages and battle against. Proverbs 6, 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Do you know what the first thing listed in that verse is? It's haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is translated as someone who promotes to be lifted, exalt oneself, aka proud, full of pride. God clearly hates pride. And he tells us in his word that pride is evil. And he also says, again, we are to hate evil. So we are to hate pride and the sinful desires of it. And listen, that's really hard because pride uh, is at the root of all sin. <laughs> if, and if pride is at the root of all sin, then we're all subject to it. Which means not only do we have to battle against it, but loathe it and despise it. Uh, just the other day, um, Kevin and I, my husband, who's amazing, I'm prefacing for this reason. <laughs> uh, Kevin and I got into an argument a few days ago over something super small, okay? We got into a conversation about how far Dallas, Texas is from Colorado Springs if you were to make the drive. I said, Kevin, it's 12 hours. Kevin said, no, it's 11 hours. And I was like, no, Kevin, by the time you go to the bathroom, eat, stop, it's gonna be about 12 hours. Kevin's response, well, you're just making a quick stop and then you get back in the car and go. Now, these are the difference between a girl comment and a dude comment. Anyway, uh, listen, this was no short convo. We kept going back and forth in order to prove who was right. And y'all, as, uh, as, as like uh, lighthearted as it seems, this ended up something being so small that actually turned into something big. Uh, which we sorted out about an hour later. We forgave each other and moved on. But do you know what, the so- what was at the source of sin in both of our hearts? Pride. And if you're wondering who was right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, it's 11 hours and 30 minutes, so we were both right. Pride can manifest and mask itself in many different ways. In fact, C.J. Mahaney writes, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. If I aspire to be in the status and hold the position of God, then pride will play itself out in approval of others, right? If I want to be seen or liked by someone or 
uh, have everyone think I'm awesome, the root of that, pride. If I'm constantly wanting to be in control, my way is better, questioning leadership, pushing back on something all the time. In that moment, the root of control, pride. If I have self-pity or don't think I did a good job and I'm constantly down on myself or need someone to just continue to, to continue to affirm me, the root of that, pride. Pride manifests itself in so many different ways. And end of the day, pride is evil. And we need to ask the Lord to search our own hearts, to reveal it, to remove it, and give us the ability to not desire it, but to hate it. And that goes along with and is the same for perverted speech, which is froward uh, speech, uh, someone who's difficult to talk with. Uh, their speech is opposite of Proverbs 16, 24, which says pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Everlast, what does your speech say about you? Does it uplift people or tear people down? Does it give life or bring death? Does it encourage others or drain others? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've met up one-on-one -on -one with my mentor. And every time I feel so encouraged, like filled up, ready to take on the world. It was so life-giving. And it causes me to ask the question, am I the person that is life-giving for others with my speech? Or am I the person that drains the other person? They leave tapped, burn out, like whoo. That was a long 15 minutes, right? <laughs> and y'all, all that has to do with our, is with our speech. What does your speech imply? God says a speech that is wicked, perverted, obnoxious, difficult to talk with, sinful, that is a speech we're to hate. And you see, one of the main purposes of to fearing the Lord is for a person's heart to align with what God loves. Proverbs 8, this verse is describing what we are to hate so that we guard our heart from such things and walk in holiness. And by the way, I just think this is important to say, hating evil is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I think for some of us in the room, when we hear the word hate, we think that's bad. We're not supposed to hate. We're supposed to love. And yes, we are supposed to love, right? And then we associate the word hate in our minds. We can associate it to think that that's wrong. But to hate what God hates is good because God is love. First John 4, 16. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In fact, God loves us so much, he's so patient with us. 2 Peter 3.19 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't want any to perish. God is love, and he wants us to know him as Savior and Lord. And because God is love, because of that, God hates what is contrary to his nature. He hates what is contrary to love. His hatred of sin, wickedness, and evil. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Meaning we are to hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And you really can't love the good without hating evil. 
in order to hold fast to what is good and to want good to prevail, you must hate what evil is. And in order to hate evil, we must cling to what is good. And clinging to what is good is clinging to Jesus himself. Everlast, you want to know how to hate evil? In order to hate evil, you must cling to what is good, Jesus. He is the answer and he is the solution to our sin problem. You see, Jesus overcame evil with good. He overcame the evil of sin and rebellion and disobedience with the good of his death and resurrection. He overcame our evil by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. He satisfied the demands of God on our behalf. He paid our ransom. All our evil ways and sinful desires that we carried out, he paid for that. Past sin, present sin, future sin, covered by his blood as he sacrificed his life in place of ours. He overcame evil with good as he bore the cross, died, and then resurrected, conquering sin and death. And now, only now, for those who place their faith in Jesus, can we hate evil. In order to hate evil, you must cling to what is good, which is Jesus. And in order to cling to what is good, you must know him. You must place your faith in him. Because listen, it's in that moment, through the work of the Holy Spirit now residing within you, that's where the transformation of the heart begins. He begins to liberate us from our evil and our own bad behaviors and desires. Changing our taste buds to something we once desired, but now crave something completely different. Some of y'all know this, um, but I started a health journey a couple years ago. I uh, had some health issues that started uh, two years back in July. And before that, I would eat anything and everything I wanted. Seriously, like Chick-fil-A, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay. Which Chick-fil-A is God's chosen food. So the point is, though, uh, it didn't matter if I knew uh, it was bad for me, right? I, I didn't feel the effects of it, so why not keep indulging in it? Then health stuff started, and I had to completely change my diet. Gluten-free, dairy-free, all things pretty much free. But listen, I started to feed my body what it needed, not what temporarily tasted good in the moment. And now, y'all, I don't crave that stuff anymore. I crave what is good for my body. My taste buds have completely changed. And I don't say that to call somebody out right now, right? If you came, uh, if right before you, if you came in here and you chowed on some stuff, you know, it's good. My point is, God gives us new taste buds. We once craved things, sinful things that were not good for us. But now as believers in Christ, we crave what is good. And it's only by clinging to Jesus that he tells us the difference between good and evil by how horrid sin tastes and how sweet holiness tastes. In order to hate sin, we cling to what is good. Now this is, I think, um, important to briefly hit on. So for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, does that mean that all sinful desires and evil desires are eradicated in our hearts? Does that mean that evil desires and sin still reside within us? The answer is yes. 
First John 1, 8 through 10 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Everlast, we still sin. The difference is that we no longer love our sin. In fact, we hate the impurity within us and engage in a spiritual battle to defeat it. That's why Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As Christians, we wake up every day in the midst of a war. Fleshly desires pull us in one direction and the desires of the spirit pull us in another. You have these spiritual desires that frustrate fleshly desires and fleshly desires that frustrate spiritual desires. And we deal with this inward battle daily. The choice to keep in step with the spirit or to, to walk in step with the flesh. And we have a choice in that moment to choose what is good or to choose what is evil. But again, we don't do it alone. For those who've placed their faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who helps us by making war on our sinful desires. And I think something that is practical, right, if you're looking for some application of, you know, okay, I know I'm supposed to hate evil, but how? Here's something helpful when it comes to hating sin. Is not to just avoid sin. And what I mean by that is not to just abstain from sin. Yes, that is good and is necessary, but choosing to avoid isn't enough because all of us know we can only avoid for so long. And if all we are doing is trying to abstain, then when we are finally met with that temptation, it's going to be difficult to say no to. That's like someone who uh, struggles with alcohol. To, to just avoid a bar is good, but not enough. Our hearts need to be transformed to hate that sin. Otherwise, when that particular sin struggle rears its ugly head and that temptation is there when you least expect it, it's going to be tough to overcome. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's help. We cannot do this alone. How do we hate sin? Don't just avoid. Ask God for help. We need to come to God in prayer. And prayer is powerful. We ask and plead with him like David does in the psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And see if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's why the Lord's prayer uh, instructs us to pray in Matthew 6, 13 like this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a reason scripture instructs us on how to pray and a reason we are to ask God to deliver us from evil. Practically, you can even pray something like this. Father, would you show and reveal the evil desires and sin that still consume me? Would you bring them into the light? Ones that I see and ones that I'm too blind to see. Would you then remove that desire for sin and continue to transform my heart? 
that I would hate sin and see it for the evil that it really is? Would you wage war against any evil and grievous way within me that I may cling to what is good and what is holy in your sight? Prayer is powerful. And we should continually be praying for God to transform our hearts and to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. Everlast, when is the last time you ask God, or if ever, God, would you help me to hate and loathe my sin? God answers prayers. David pledged in Psalm 101.3, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do, and I will have no part in it. I love David's pledge here because as our hearts should continually be transformed, that when we come face to face with evil behavior, we don't just avoid the sin, but we hate it so much that we refuse to partake in it. I love how one author said it. He said, don't just hide from evil, hate evil. Don't just choose good, embrace the good. We want heart transformation, not just our behavior. And lastly, practically, uh, hating evil comes through loving God's word. Hating evil comes through prayer and through loving God's word. I love how one author says it. He says, the Bible is the main instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to give us love of holiness and hatred of sin. We read this earlier, but Psalm 119, 104 says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. God's word is going to reveal what is good and evil. God's word reminds us that the pleasure of sin is short-lived, Job 25. God's word tells us to run away from evil, Proverbs 3, 7. God's word warns us that sin leads to destruction and death, Romans 6, 23. God's word encourages us that with temptation, he provides a way out, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And God's word continually shows us and teaches us the path and outcomes of those who love evil, Galatians 5, 21. In order to hate evil, we have to cling to what is good. Jesus is good. His word is good. And scripture, again, is the main instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to give us a love of holiness and a hatred of sin. And so Everlast, I'll ask this question again. Do you hate evil? Do you hate evil? You see, because every person is obligated to make a fundamental choice between good and evil. That's why I love movies like Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, and Star Wars. Because there's a gospel parallel. Just like those movies, we too have the choice between good and evil. Every person on earth and in this room is obligated to make a fundamental choice between loving good or hating evil. And that choice is determined by our response to God, moment by moment. That either means following his will or rebelling and choosing to sin. Our hearts are either seeking the goodness of God or the selfishness of sin. For those who've placed their faith in Christ, while we may be imperfect, and are still waging war against our fleshly desires, we cannot be neutral in our approach to good versus evil. We must love good and hate evil. Good news is that for those who choose to love good, those who choose Jesus eternally, this means that if you choose to accept him as your Lord and Savior and accept salvation, 
God's wrath will not come upon you for the sin of our remaining evil desires. Jesus paid the penalty for that. Christ bore the wrath for forgiven evil desires. You have chose the side who wins. Bad news is that for those who choose to love evil, to love sin, are choosing the losing side and are making the choice to align themselves against God himself. And everlast, the outcome is severe. Wrath will come upon the unforgiven evil desire that is within them. So I implore you, as Proverbs 8.13 says, fear the Lord, hate evil. Everlast, choose good, choose Christ, hate evil, cling to what is good, abhor what is evil, and know that you aren't in this fight alone. We have Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has already won the victory. When it comes to good versus evil, God wins, and you want to be on the winning side. Amen? Let's pray.